Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And it is my prayer that the message you are about to hear helps you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Right, let me invite you to take your Bible and open right to the middle of your Bible to the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm 34 this morning as we continue our study of this uh, amazing book of the Bible, Psalm 34. And as we read this text, it should sound a bit familiar to you because you just sang the words to this particular psalm. So it's a, a great psalm, and I think it's going to be a blessing and encouragement to you this morning. Psalm 34 is where we're going to spend our time together in just a few moments. I'm going to read to you the first 10 verses. We're going to look at the entire psalm, but I just want to focus in on these first 10 verses in our our time of reading the word. So Psalm 34, 1 through 10, go ahead and find that passage of scripture. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay because in the seat before you down in the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Psalm 34. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Psalm 34 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. So here we are in the midst of summer. We've got a team going to Orlando, the, the coolest place on earth in July, right? But here we are in the midst of summer. And I wonder if any of you have had already that favorite summer fruit. How many of you bought a watermelon this summer already? Yeah, so some of you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know this or not, but right now you can go to Walmart. They have them on sale for $3.68. The reason I know they are $3.68 because I took note when I went into the Walmart because we just paid a lot more money for a watermelon uh, about a week or so ago. So, so, so uh, across the street from our neighborhood, there's been this guy out there and he's had this little watermelon stand. He comes out there with his truck and trailer full of watermelons and, and Stacy just noticed him a few times. And, and then we saw the start to see on our, our community Facebook page, our neighborhood Facebook page, page, all these people just raving about these watermelons. Like these are the best ever, the sweetest I've ever had and all those kinds of things. And so, so after seeing that stand there several times uh, on our way out one afternoon, we stopped by that stand to, to buy one of those watermelons that's supposed to be the best watermelon in the world, all those kinds of things, $10 per watermelon. Right? I know. I mean, it's a ripoff. But anyway, so he's there and he's got this truck and he must have had, I don't know, I, I tried to count them all. It was like 4,323 watermelons back of this trailer. Just this huge number of watermelons. And I don't know where the dude got them from because he doesn't grow them. Like he's a paint and body guy. He, he has his paint and body shops. I don't, where he got these watermelons, I have no idea. And so, so, so I, I bought 
for my wife one of these $10 watermelons and I got the smallest one that they had and, and taking that small watermelon and putting it in the back of my um, Explorer, bringing it home, about broke my back. I've got a picture of the watermelon, right? That thing is huge. And so, so, so I was just curious how much that thing weighed because it, it really about broke my back carrying that thing around. I got on the scale with it. That watermelon weighed 48.8 pounds. Right? I've got another picture. This is my wife uh, cutting the thing up right here. It, it, took her, it took her two hours to cut this watermelon. And, and, and so I know what you're asking. What in the world are y'all going to do with a 48-pound watermelon? I have no idea. Like we, we've eaten some of it, but, but we can't eat. That, that's enough watermelon. I don't know if you this or not. That, that's enough watermelon to feed all of North Charleston. Like everybody can have a bite. I mean, whatever. It's a lot of watermelon. So over the past week or so, if you came to our house, you got watermelon. We, we, have, we have sent watermelon to everybody. And in fact, yeah, once, uh, we had a couple in our, our, our first service who I, I had forgotten had come over to our house earlier in the week and said, yeah, we got some of your watermelon. So all over the place, people are getting our watermelon because we can't, we can't eat all this watermelon, right? I tell you that to tell you this. So, so what happened is Stacy saw the truck and then Stacy read the comments. And when you read comments like, this is the sweetest watermelon you'll ever eat. This is the best watermelon you'll ever have. When you read those kinds of comments, you just gotta have it. You gotta try it. And, and, and the reality is, if you think about the way that you use your own words, you've said things like that before too, haven't you? You've had an amazing experience. Maybe you went to an amazing restaurant and you said after you had that amazing dining experience, hey, you just have to go to whatever it is. It's the best experience you'll ever have. Or, or you've, you've seen that amazing movie, you watched Top Gun too, and you came back and said, man, you gotta go see Top Gun. Man, it's amazing. Or, or whatever that experience is. I went on, on vacation to this place and man, it, it was so amazing. And, and it's interesting, it? By the way that you use your words and by the way that you, you shape your language, you can have just through your words a tremendous influence on people, can't you? I mean, you really can. And, and you've seen that and you've seen how others have influenced you through their words. That's why Psalm 34 is so significant for us because here David is and, and through the words that he's, he's writing in, in this particular Psalm, he is influencing us because he, now watch this, this is what I love about the Psalms. David is a man of experience. You know what I mean by that? This is what's so unique about the Psalms. When we read through the Psalms together, we are reading of someone's firsthand experience with the God of all creation. This is what I've experienced. This is how God has worked in my life. And in this Psalm, what's so significant about this Psalm is David not only tells us what he's experienced, but he also invites us to share in that experience. He uses his words to influence us to taste and see that God is good. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the whole reason why God has left you on this earth is so that you would use your words to influence others, to help them taste and see the goodness of God in a relationship with Christ Jesus. And I, I don't know if you know this or not either, but, 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 but here's what, what I think is true, that by the way you live your life, by the way that you use your words, by, by your actions, by, by the way that you live your life. You know this, you're either drawing people 
into a relationship with God or pushing people away from a relationship with God. Because you've been there, you know this, you know those followers of Jesus, right? That, that, that just walk with God faithfully, uh, that, that always have thanksgiving on their lips and have that right perspective of life. You know those, those, those followers of Jesus that, that just have that attractive walk with Jesus. You want some of that. You want to experience what that person has. And so what David talks about here, I think in this Psalm, is how a life of praise, a life of keeping our focus on God is used by God to influence others, to taste and see the goodness of God. Oh, how a life of praise is used by God to help others taste and see the goodness of God. And I don't know what your life looks like this morning. Maybe your life feels like anything but a life of praise. But I wanna show you this morning why you can have a life of praise and why it's so important to live a life of praise. Take your Bibles, Psalm 34. What I wanna show you from this passage is real simple. I wanna show you two truths about a life of praise that I think are gonna help you, are gonna help us uh, to, to be that influence, to help others experience the goodness of God that we've experienced. It makes sense to you? Take your Bibles, Psalm 34. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Psalm 34, verses one through 10. Listen to what the Bible says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young, young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you that, that you allow us, your people, to experience you. Father, when we open up scripture, we, we read words on a page. We're not reading about some ancient God that lived long ago who, who doesn't exist today. No, we're reading about the God of all creation who was and is and is to come, the God of the now, that today, today, through the power of your spirit and the death and resurrection of Jesus, we get to experience you, to know you, to walk with you, to commune with you. And Father, as we experience you, we want others to experience you as well. And so Father, I pray that as we study your word this morning and hear your voice speaking to us, that, that today we would want to hear your word and we'd want to obey your word so that we might live lives that influence others to know your goodness and your grace and your mercy. So God, thank you for what you are going to do during this time that we have together, how you're going to mold us and shape us to be more like your son. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, I, I, I know we've talked about this already in the book of Psalms, but it's really, really important for this particular Psalm. A lot of times when you read the Psalms, you'll see a superscription. You know what I mean when I say superscription? You see the number, 
34 in this particular psalm. And then right under that number or, or right beside that number, you're given a little detail. Oftentimes that detail is just something like the name of the author, a psalm of David, a psalm of Moses, a psalm of the sons of Quran. And there might be some, some other instructions, right? Like with stringed instruments or with the pipes or whatever, these, these, these musical cues because these psalms would have been sung in, in, in worship at the temple. But, but this particular superscription, it gives us some detail. And, and throughout the Psalms, there are several Psalms like this uh, where, where, where we're actually given some historical context behind the Psalm. In other words, the superscription helps us to know uh, the, the historical setting as to why David in this instance wrote this particular Psalm. Let me show you. So you see the number 34 and then uh, right under that number, it says something like this, concerning David. When he pretended to be insane in the presence of a, of a Blamelech, who drove him out and he departed. Now, you probably have skipped over that before when you've read this psalm, but let me, let me help you. This psalm is in the context of a really interesting Bible story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is on the run and he's running from King Saul. You probably know this, uh, that, that David had been anointed king, but he's not king yet. There is still a king on the throne and his name is Saul. And, and, and you probably know this as well, that, that, that David was, was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. David had been in Saul's court playing the harp. But, but, but over time, especially after David defeated Goliath, the people began to turn to David. Uh, they began to sing David's praises and Saul became what? He became jealous. And so Saul, he wanted David dead. And so as you read through 1 Samuel, you read these different stories of how Saul pursued David in an attempt to have David killed. And this is one of those stories in 1 Samuel 21, when David is on the run from Saul. And on this particular instance, David, he's on the run and he goes to a place called Nob. That's a great name for a town, right? The town of Nob. But Nob is significant because in Nob at this particular time, you know what's in Nob? Nothing. Nothing is ever in Nob except the tabernacle. The tabernacle. It's, it's like putting the tabernacle out in Ridgeville. Right? There's nothing in Ridgeville. If you live there, I'm sorry. But you know, there's not a whole lot there, right? So you've got Nob and the tabernacle is in Nob. And so David goes into the tabernacle and there's a priest. And the priest asks a question. I mean, what are you doing here? Why, well, you're, you're, are you alone? What's going on? And you know what David does? He tells a lie. He said, oh, King Saul, he sent me here on this private mission. No, he did not. I mean, Saul was after him. And, and then, then David wants something to eat. And, and what David does is he and the people that are with him, they eat from the bread that was in the tabernacle, the bread that was reserved for priests. That was a no-no, but that's what they did. And David asked a question. Now, this is really interesting. David asked a question. Do you have a weapon here? I need a weapon. There was a weapon there in the tabernacle, a weapon that had become a holy relic for the nation of Israel, the sword of Goliath. Now, some time ago, obviously, David had killed Goliath and this sword, it was being stored in the tabernacle. And so David took Goliath's own, own sword and David took that sword. And you know where he went? He went to the town of Gath. I mean, Gath sounds a lot like Nob, right? You wouldn't think that's a very significant place either. But oh, Gath was a significant place. You know why Gath was a significant place? Gath was where Goliath was from. You can think about it. This is kind of ingenious, isn't it? Because, because I imagine that in, in David's mind, there's no way, there's no way that Saul would chase him down to Gath. 
Saul wouldn't go to the hometown of Goliath looking for David. And so this plan seems really good. Let's go to Gath. Now, come on now, David killed Goliath. So you can imagine that in Gath, there are probably gonna be some people that might recognize David and that's not gonna be a good day for him. But he goes to Gath anyway, carrying Goliath's sword. And he gets to Gath and he is, he's found out. And so what happens, and in fact, later on in the book of Psalms, you come to Psalm chapter 56. And in Psalm 56, it's a Psalm that David writes while he is held captive in Gath. They took him captive. And while he's in captivity, eventually the king comes to see David and David stands before the king. You can read all this in 1 Samuel 21. It's a fascinating story. And so there David is, he's in the presence of the king. It could be that his life is over. Maybe the king will take Goliath's own sword out of his hand and kill David with Goliath's sword. So he's staying there, he's fearful and he has an idea. He begins to act like a madman. He just goes crazy. And you read 1 Samuel 21 and it's, it's pretty smart. He, he lets drool come down his beard and just, just acts like a madman. And the king is like, why have you brought this madman into my presence? And the king throws David out of his presence. And if you read the rest of the story, David escapes and he goes to a cave. Now, I don't know this. This is, this is conjecture. This is a little bit of imagination, but it could have been. It could have been that while he was in that cave, reflecting on what had just happened, that's when he wrote this particular psalm. Now, we don't know that, but maybe that was the case. After he had fled from from that king and, and he was in the cave, thinking about what had happened, he writes this psalm. And in the first verse of this psalm, you, you read the words, I will bless the Lord at all times. I mean, think about it. Think about what had just happened. In Nob, David lied. In Gath, David acted like a madman. But now as he reflects, he understands. The reason why he was safe wasn't because he lied. Wasn't because he was deceptive. Uh, The reason why he was safe wasn't because he acted like a madman. The reason why he was safe was why, church? Because ultimately God had his hand on David. Reason why David was safe is ultimately because God had rescued him. And so you read these first 10 verses and what these verses are is they are full of praise. You think about where we've been in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, we have already studied several Psalms of lament. Psalms where David cries out in agony. God, where are you? God, this hurts. God, I feel like I'm abandoned. This Psalm is not like that. This Psalm is not a lament. We're going to get back to the laments next week. But this Psalm is a Psalm of absolute praise. I will bless the Lord at all times. Come now, look at what it says. Proclaim, verse three, the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I mean, think about what's happened in David's life. He has experienced this miraculous deliverance. He should have died in the hometown of Goliath, but he doesn't. I'll bless the Lord. And then what does he say? You've got to experience this too. Come on. It's an invitation. Proclaim God's greatness with me. Let us exalt the name of God together. Now, if you're reading a different Bible translation, maybe you have the the ESV or the NASB. What what it says in verse three is something like this. Oh, magnify. Do you have that word in your Bible? That word magnify is an interesting word, isn't it? Some of you might be like me and you have a telescope at home. I bought my boys a telescope a couple years ago. And every now and then we'll take that telescope outside and we'll look up at the moon. The moon is the moon. 
It's a big old rock up in the sky, isn't it? And, and so without the telescope, we're, we're not able to see the, the massive expanse of the moon. But when you look at that telescope, what does it do, church? It magnifies. What it does is that telescope helps me to see the moon for what it is. I can see as I look through that telescope, the massive expanse of the moon. I can see the craters. I can see that as I look through the telescope. And, and so, so what, what David is saying, he's saying, come on, join me. Let us magnify the Lord together. Let us exalt the Lord. Let us together see God for who he is. Let me tell you what he's done, right? Now, come on down. There's some interesting things here. You come down and he says in verse four, for example, I sought the Lord. He answered me. And then look at verse five. This is so interesting to me. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Now, he goes on to say what? Their faces will never be ashamed. Now, you know this about David, don't you? That he is a good student of his Bible. David meditated on the law of the Lord, those first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I can't help but think that when David writes these words that he has a Bible story in mind. Do you remember Exodus chapter 34? In Exodus chapter 34, Moses had been on the top of Mount Sinai for some time with God. And do you remember what happened? Come on now, do you remember? When he came down that mountain, When he came down that mountain, what did his face look like? It radiated the glory of God. He'd been in the presence of God. In fact, his face was so bright that when he came off that mountain, they had to veil his face because there wasn't sunscreen back then. And so you couldn't put on your SPF 50 to protect yourself from, come on, that was funny. Maybe it wasn't, but anyway, so he, he veiled his face, right? He veiled his face uh, so, so that his, his glorious face would not blind other people. Now, I think David is thinking about that when he writes these verses and, and he says, listen, for those who've been rescued by God, their face is what? They radiate joy. And you've been around those kind of people, haven't you? You've been around those kinds of followers of Jesus, who sure, life's hard for them just like everybody else, but they have this perspective of life. They have this outlook on life and they they have this joy-filled heart and their their face just radiates the joy of the Lord and it's attractive. Those are the kind of people that you want to learn from, that you want to be around. And, And David says, because of what God has done, my face, it radiates with joy. I'm not ashamed of what God has done. You come down and look what else he says. This poor man, verse six, cried. The Lord heard him and saved him. Verse seven is interesting. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. I think that when David writes this verse, he has a Bible story in mind because back in Exodus chapter 14, right before the Hebrew people crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, it talks about the angel of the Lord and how the angel of the Lord that was encamped among them moved his presence and came between the Hebrews and the Egyptians and protected the Hebrews. That's what, what David's saying. The Lord encamps around me. The Lord has, has, has come before me. And then you go on and you see what it says in verse eight. Taste and see the Lord is good. Isn't that good? So he's just praising God. This is a life of praise. Can you believe what God has done in my life? I want you 
follower of Jesus. I want you, church, I want you, whoever's reading this, David's saying, I want you to experience what I've experienced. You taste for yourself, see for yourself that God is good. May is a, a pretty hectic month for us because May is Mother's Day. Uh, Stacy and I celebrate our, our anniversary in May. It's also her birthday in May. And so, so I do what every good husband does in the month of May. Well, not you do it probably another month, but any uh, time it comes up where you got a couple holidays in a row, right? I buy, I buy Stacy one gift for all of those holidays. That's, that's what a good husband does. And so, so typically, like we've been married for a while now, uh, over 14 years. And, and, and so, so I, I, I know what Stacy enjoys. I know what she likes. So I think I'm a pretty good gift giver, but I also try to uh, buy her gifts that I know I will enjoy too. And, and so it works out well for both of us. And so, so for her birthday, our anniversary, and for Mother's Day this year, I bought her one of those really fancy ninja blenders. Have you got one of those? I couldn't afford the Vitamix, but I could afford the Ninja Blender. And so this Ninja Blender, it is absolutely amazing. Like you can take a lead block and put it in there, hit blend, and 30 seconds later, you can drink that lead block. I mean, it's just really amazing how this thing works. And so, so every morning now for the last couple months, I've gotten up and I've made a smoothies. I put all the, uh, the, the oranges in there, bananas, strawberries, wear fruits around the house and just make these wonderful smoothies. And we even enjoy drinking them. And it's just amazing how, how, how quickly it blends it up. And, and so, so, so it wasn't too long ago that, uh, that, that Stacy made her own smoothie and, and, and she hasn't made a whole lot of smoothies because I'm the one usually making them because I get up early and all, but she made her own smoothie. And, 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 and I came into the kitchen and, and saw this thing. It's like this dark green. Yeah, right? Like, like no, 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 no. And so, 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 so she had this dark green thing and, and, and she was drinking it down. I mean, it, it, there, there is no way I'm drinking it, right? I just, you, fruit's not dark green. You don't drink things that are dark green. Don't do it. Grass is dark green and I'm drinking grass. And so, so she's drinking this thing. Luke's drinking this thing because, because Luke just, he'll, he, God bless him. He'll eat and drink whatever. And it's all, whatever. He's just got that kind of, he's just that kind of guy. Hudson's more like me. He took one sip of it and said, no way. And he backed off from that thing. And, 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 and then I'm saying to Stacy, there's no way I'm drinking that thing. I, I love you and all those, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And, and she said these words. She said these words, just taste it. Now, usually when someone says, just taste this, that's a good thing, right? But I know, typically speaking, and my wife's a good cook, but when my wife says something like, just taste it, I know it's going to be bad. And so when she says, just taste it, I say, oh no, I'm not tasting it, right? But I did, I tasted it and it was, it was terrible. I don't know what it was in there, uh, but it was bad, right? I mean, God bless her. She tried, it was bad. Don't make a smoothie again. It was bad, right? But flip side, it usually does work this way. When someone tells you to taste this, because they want you to experience the goodness of it. When you say, look at this, come on, see this, come on, walk outside me and look at the sunset. You say those things, why? Because that person you're saying, just taste this or just see this too, you want them to do what? You want them to experience it with you. That's all David's doing here. He's saying, you just need to experience for yourself this God who has rescued me. And so I just want to stop and camp out for a moment on this first truth, uh, that, that, that a life of praise is going to come up, right? Yeah, a life of praise gives people a taste of the goodness of God. When you make that decision to be intentional in the way that you approach life and the way that you talk about God and the way that you praise the Lord, man, that really does help people 
have a taste of the goodness of God. And so, so again, part of it is for those of us in this room who are wanting to have this kind of life that influences others and calls people to experience God with us, we must make a decision to be intentional. Let me tell you why I say that. Come back up real quick to verse one. I will bless the Lord at all times. That's intentional. Do you know why I say that's intentional? Because blessing the Lord at all times doesn't what, church? It doesn't come naturally. It just doesn't. It's easy to bless the Lord when life's going well, but when it's not going so well, it's a whole lot easier to complain and bicker and moan, right? But David says, listen, I'm making a decision because I want you and I want others to experience God with me. I am making a decision to be intentional in my praise, right? I am intentional. And some of you are intentional. You're intentional in your complaining. You're intentional in your gossip. You're intentional in the way you put people down. You see, we're all intentional in the way that we use our words. And David's just saying, and I want you to say too, no, 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 no. I want to be intentional in the way that I use my words to uplift, to build up, to exalt God so others might taste and see along with me that God is good. Now watch this. And I'm gonna make a decision to be influential because I don't know if you know this or not, but maybe you do. Every one of you in this room has some influence, don't you? Whether it's uh, uh, your children that you're bringing up, whether it's with your spouse, some friends, some coworkers, every one of us have a sphere of influence. And whether you know or not, you're inviting people in your sphere of influence to taste and see something. For some of you, it's taste and see my anger. I'm just mad at the world and I want you to know. And I want you to be mad with me. For some of you, it's, it's taste and see how great I am. And you're constantly bragging about how, how you accomplished this or how you accomplished that. Uh, for some of you, it's taste and see my idolatry. Because all you talk about is that, that, that sports team or that thing that you're so passionate about. And what it reveals is you don't care about God at all. You care about this other thing, right? You're all inviting people to taste and see something. And all David is saying to us through the power of the Spirit is, no, no, no. I want to live my life in such a way where I praise God in such a way that I can invite you to taste and see with me that God is good. So be intentional. Be influential. And are you? Are you intentional in the way that you talk about God? Are you influential in striving to help others experience God? And, and here's what I know. You will not be intentional and you will not be influential if you yourself aren't pursuing God on a regular basis. But, but, but we got to move, right? So this is the first half of the psalm. But the second half is really interesting. Let me show you. We got to go. You come down to verse 11. Oh, this is so good. So, so you have these first 10 verses, this invitation to praise. David's being intentional. But you come to verse 11. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, David knows who he is. I mean, obviously he's David and you know who you are too. But David knows what's going to happen in his life eventually. That eventually he's going to be king. And his children are going to be royalty. And he's going to pass on a legacy to them. You see? Oh, come, children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Oh, this is so good. Come on in close. I, I want to make sure you understand what's going on here. This is fascinating to me. David could have said a lot of things here, but he says, I, I want you to fear the Lord. He's going to have a son named Solomon. And Solomon is going to be this wise king. And Solomon is going to write a book or a lot of a book called Proverbs. And in Proverbs, how does Solomon open up the book? Solomon opens up the book like this in Proverbs 1, verse 7. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning 
of knowledge. He'll go on to say in other places in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon talks a lot. Now, now watch this so good. Solomon talks a lot about the fear of God, about fearing the Lord. Why do you think he does that? Because he heard his daddy talking about it. I, I, I think that, that's probably what happened is that, that, that Solomon, and now I know that David wasn't perfect. David had his flaws. David had his mess ups. But I imagine that, that David constantly told his sons and daughters, fear God, fear God. And so when Solomon rises to power, he's saying the same thing. Fear God, fear God, fear God. Because Solomon is now telling his sons in the book of Proverbs, here's the beginning of wisdom. Fear God, fear God. We're going to Orlando today. When we get back, I'm going to take Stacy and the boys to New Orleans so we can see Stacy's parents. We get back right before school starts. I promised my son, Luke, that I'm going to take him on a trip, just me and him, because he's going to be in sixth grade next year. And, and so, so we've called it, and I, I know he doesn't like this, and I get it, but we've called it the Becoming a Man trip, right? Going to middle school, new stage of life. And so, so you know, if he was in a Jewish culture, it would be bar mitzvah, but that's another story for another day. And so it's just Becoming a Man trip, right? And, and so, so, so I've planned this trip. We're going to go to the mountains for a couple of days, and, and here's what he wants to do. He wants to fish. He just wants to fish because my love, my son loves fishing. And you've heard me talk about fishing. I ain't got a clue about fishing. And so I'm trying to learn. I've been trying to learn, but, 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 but I don't have this legacy of fishing in my past, right? That, that's just not, not what I grew up doing. And so, so my son, Luke, at 12 years old, almost 12 years old, I mean, he's already a better fisherman than I am. He knows more about it than I do. I can't pass that on to him, but I'm going to take him fishing. But you know what I'm going to do while I'm there? I'm not going to teach him fishing because I can't teach him fishing. I can teach him how to fear the Lord. And so our conversations are going to be around how Christ is forming him. The work, and I want that for Hudson too. There's a lot of things I cannot teach my boys because I don't have the experience. I don't have the skill. I don't have the ability, but I can. I can, by the grace of God, I can teach them how to fear the Lord. I can pass that on. And you can too, if you walk with Jesus. And here's what David's saying, I think in this passage, right? He's saying that a life of praise gives you an opportunity to help people fear the greatness of God. And I just want to show you a few things. We're going to move fast, buckle up. Fear of God is an attitude before God. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think David understands a couple of realities. He understands that, that, that God knows everything, that there's no part of his life and no part of your life that's hidden from God. You understand that? That in and of itself should evoke fear within you. You can't hide. Try all you want. You can't do it. Every thought he knows, every action he sees, there's nothing in your life hidden from God. And you know what's in your life a lot of evil. And so look at what David says. You come down, just quickly look at what it says. You come down, for example, and you see um, um, verse 16. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to remove all memory of them from the earth. You come down and you see something else similar. Verse 21, evil brings death to the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished. David knows this. David knows that God is a righteous judge who sees and knows everything. And all who reject him and all who choose evil, their memory will be wiped off the face of the earth. That should evoke fear. But David also knows something else, that while God is a righteous God, he is also what? A merciful and gracious God. Look what David says. Now, come on, listen, listen, listen. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry for help. 
The righteous, verse 17, cry out and the Lord hears. I love verse 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. So, so two things, right? On the one hand, God is a righteous judge who will condemn those for eternity who reject him. But on the other hand, God is a merciful, gracious father who will rescue anyone who cries out to him in faith. Isn't this good? This should evoke fear that, that we stand before God with this reverential awe. In other words, for every one of us, yes, God is a God of love and God of grace. He forgives a multitude of sins. But my friend, just hear me very carefully. Every one of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, we all need to take God far more seriously than we oftentimes do. He is the God of all creation who has given you life in him, even when you don't deserve it. He is worthy of your attention. He is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your everything. This is an attitude before God. Now watch this. Fear of God is an attitude before God and fear of God affects the way you talk. Listen to what David says. You come back up. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Why would David say that? Because he did it. He lied. A second, or excuse me, 1 Samuel 21. He lied in the presence of the priest. And he knows that lying gets you nowhere, right? And you think about it in this way, God is a God of all what, church? All truth. God is the God of truth. And every time we use our words deceptively, every time we use our words to tear down, every time we use our words to hurt someone else, what are we detracting people from? The truth. You see, when you're not intentional in using your words to bless God and build others up, you will use your words in a way, right, that turn people away from the truth of God's grace, His love, and His mercy. But watch this as well. Fear of God is an attitude before God. It's, it affects the way you talk, and it also affects the way you walk. Listen to what it says. You come down and look at the very next verse. Verse 14, turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. Did you know this? David had opportunity. He had opportunity to end Saul's life. He could have. There were a couple of occasions where he could have ended Saul's life and this would have been over. But he doesn't. He doesn't. This enemy that was pursuing him, instead of taking matters into his own hands and ending Saul's life on a couple of occasions when he had an opportunity, he allows him to live. David, right, sought peace. Affects the way you walk. And, and there are those of us in this room that, that when people come against us, we just want to get revenge. We want to have vengeance and all those kinds of things. But, but, but no, 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 no. When you fear the Lord, it affects the way that you talk and it affects the way that you walk. You want to be that person that lives at peace with others, even when they mistreat you. But, but uh, we got to move. Listen, what, what, what else we got here? When you fear God, you have nothing else to fear. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. It's interesting to me that you have David, that, that what he wants, he wants us to live a life of praise in such a way that we point people to the greatness of God where people fear God, where we understand that God is holy and we take him seriously. Fear God, fear God, fear God. But you know what else the Bible tells us over and over and over and over and over again? God tells us himself, do not fear. 
This is so good. Now, now, come on now, listen, listen. You, you gotta get this. If you're sleeping, wake back up for just 30 seconds, then you go back to sleep. Listen, just carefully, right? Listen, when you fear God, when you live seriously before him, when you understand what it means to walk with him, when you fear God, you have nothing else to fear. You don't have to fear your enemies. You don't have to fear a bad day. You don't have to fear disease. You don't even have to fear death because you know that death for you as a follower of Jesus just opens up the door to an eternity with Christ. You see, when you fear God in such a way that leads you to praise him and live your life before him, you have nothing else to fear. And so just quickly, before we close our time together, I I just want us this morning to make a few commitments for this week. One, If I'm going to live a life of praise that's influential in the lives of others, I need to count my blessing instead of counting my sorrows. I know there's an old song about that. I know this is something new for you, but but just think about it. This past week, your words, were they filled with blessing or were they filled with complaining? Were they filled with the goodness of God or were they filled with how much of life you don't like right now? You see what I'm saying? Or think about this. I'm going to be intentional with my words this week. And some of you need to hear this, and, 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 I, and I don't want you to be the, the, the bearer of, of just bad news for you or to hurt your feelings or anything, but you just need to hear this. When it comes to the way that we use our words, right, if we really want to be influential and show others this radiant joy that exuberates from a life of praise, some of us in this room need to clean it up quite a bit, Right? Because you're constantly using your words to complain about what you don't like. You're constantly putting people down. You're constantly posting things on social media that have no business being on there. You see what I'm saying? No, 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 no. Don't distract people or don't detract people from, from, from knowing the greatness of God by the way that you use your words. Or think about this. I'm going to count my blessings. I'm going to be intentional with my words. And this week, there's going to be opportunity. Because this week, there's going to be someone, and you probably know this already. I don't even have to tell you this. There's going to be someone this week who offends you. Just seems to happen every week, doesn't it? Somebody is going to do something that makes you a little bit mad. And in that moment, you're going to have a choice to make. Am I going to get back and get even? Or am I going to bless instead? Instead of repaying evil for evil this week, repay evil with good. On that day when that coworker offends you, or on that day when that classmate offends you, bless, encourage, keep walking with that life of praise where you point to Jesus. And think about this. I'm going to take advantage of an opportunity this week to influence someone with my praise because this week there is going to be someone in your life that comes across your path that does not know Christ. There's going to be someone in your life this week that's down and out and that's hurting. Someone that God has strategically placed in your path for you to bless with the gospel by the way you influence them, by the way you talk about God through your perspective of life, through the way that you radiate joy. You see, all David is saying in this psalm is I've tasted and I've seen something. I've experienced God. And because of that, I want you to experience him too. I want you to experience God for who he is. This holy God, this one who's a righteous judge, but yet a merciful father. I want you to know him with me. Taste and see that he is good. And by the way that you praise God this week, you're going to show people how to taste and see. And you're going to show people how to fear God as well. Now, I want to show you something else and we're done. Come on down. Let me show you one more thing in this passage of scripture. You come down and, and, and David is just exalting God for what he's done in his life. And you come down. This is an interesting verse. Verse 20. 
He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. It's kind of a strange verse. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but, but in an ancient Hebrew culture, uh, they didn't have it all figured out and, and their theology in some ways was a bit incomplete, but, but, but here's what they believed. In an ancient Hebrew culture, uh, they believed that there was a coming day of resurrection, that God was going to exalt the Jewish people. They didn't know how, they didn't know when, uh, they didn't know the whole story, but, but that was an ancient belief, right? But here's what they also believed. I don't know if you know this or not. Just a, kind of a strange belief, but this is what they believed. A lot of Jewish people back in, in this time period. Uh, they believed, right, that, that, that if you died with your bones broken, it hindered the resurrection. That, that those broken bones would be an obstacle to your future resurrection. Now, I know that sounds a bit strange, but let me show you something. Take your Bibles real quick and turn over to the Gospel of John. John chapter 19. You look in John chapter 19, and this is the account of Christ being crucified. And the, the verses here towards the end of John 19 talk about how he was crucified and, 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 and how his side was pierced. But you come down and you read a very interesting verse, 1936. For these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Now that's interesting. Because right here in John chapter 19, uh, the apostle John, he is quoting Psalm 34 verse 20. Why? Well, a couple of things. Maybe you know this too. Back in the book of Exodus, back in the book of Exodus, you remember right before the Passover, the people were to gather the Passover lamb and they would take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost of their home. So when the angel of death came, that, that angel of death would pass over their homes. You remember that story? I don't know if you know this or not, but, but back there when, when God told them to get those Passover lambs, did you know that God told them not to break the bones of the lamb? And so in some ways, when you get to the crucifixion of Christ, Jesus' bones are not broken. It's a reminder of the Passover that Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. He is the sacrificial lamb who died in our place and rose again. But, but listen, listen, listen. But, but John just wants us to know. John just wants us to know. Because again, in this ancient culture, there was this, there was this belief. Someone's bones are broken. Maybe that might hinder their resurrection. John wants us to know there is nothing, not a thing, not one thing that can hinder the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross and he took on your shame upon himself. He took your sin upon himself. He took the punishment that you were due. All of that was placed on Christ at the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. But death could not defeat him. This one who died in your place for you, he rose victoriously from the dead. Not a bone was broken. Nothing hindered him from walking out of a tomb three days later so that Psalm chapter 34, verse 22, you could be redeemed, redeemed to the uttermost. 
Nothing now stands in the way of your resurrection. I don't care how many bones are broken on your body. There will come a day if you've died in Christ, that Christ will raise your body from the dead because he has defeated sin and death for you. And so now, if you think about it, you come back to Psalm 34. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. How much more, Christian, how much more should you bless the Lord? How much more should you live a life of praise? How much more should you live a life of worship knowing that you have a king who sits on the throne of David forever, who came and died in your place and rose again so that you could live forever with him? Yes, Christian, I know it. I get it. Life is hard. Yes, I get it. Life is challenging. Yes, I get it. You've been through it. I know it. We all have. But nothing at all can take away your salvation. Fear not, says the Lord, because you have nothing to fear. Because God has done everything necessary to secure for you an eternity with him. Do you see? You have every reason to praise God. You have every reason to live a life of praise. Why? Why would you live a life of complaining? Why would you live a life of bitterness? Why would you live a life of anger when you understand what God has given you in Christ Jesus? I will bless the Lord at all times. And friend, come on with me. Taste and see that God is good. Here you are in this room this morning, and there may be someone sitting in this room who has never given his life or her life to Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and you've never experienced the grace of God in a relationship with Jesus. This morning is an opportunity for you to believe that Christ died the death that you deserve. He took your sin upon himself and rose from the dead three days later so you could be given life, abundant and eternal, so you could be redeemed. If you're watching online, if you're in this room and you've never placed your faith in Christ, today is the day to do so. And in the corners of this room are two crosses. If you're in this room and today you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, I invite you to go to one of these crosses. There'll be someone there who'll pray for you and help you today begin that relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, there'll be a number on the screen. Text that number. We'll reach out to you. And today we'll help you begin a relationship with Jesus. If you are in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, here's the invitation. Maybe as we have a time of invitation, you realize that your life has not been intentional when it comes to praising the Lord. Your life has not been one that, that, that exemplifies that you fear God. And maybe this morning, God is just calling you in this room as a follower of Jesus to say, you know what? Lord, I, I can bless you at all times. And I want to. And so Father, again today, help me to taste and see once again that you are good. And maybe this morning you just want to come and repent and, and ask God to forgive you of, of taking him for granted and taking this salvation that he's given you for granted. I don't know how the spirit of God is leading you this morning, but as he leads you, you respond to his voice. Father, thank you for this morning and for time and your word. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Now, Father, if there's one in this room who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person will come trusting you as Lord. And I pray that the rest of us this morning would once again know that you are worthy of our praise and adoration. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise your feet as a time of invitation. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.